to fight for what we got Cause you God, we thank you so much for the amazing um, school district and school districts in our city. Um, we thank you, God, for the um, educators and these uh, counselors and custodians and coaches and teachers um, and admin. God, these people who work so tirelessly to help and to develop and to bless this younger generation. We pray that you would refresh them. We pray, God, that this summer is incredible for them that you pour into them, that it's a chance of rest, relaxation, and growth for them, um, and fill them up so they can pour you out um, in this new school year in the fall. So God bless them. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, a practical application, kind of a, a service project. If you, any of you younger folks, and I say younger, unless some of you older folks, or mature, I'm sorry, mature folks, uh, want to help with this, but Wednesday night, uh, this upcoming Wednesday, we are going to be chaperoning Clovis West's Sober Grad. Uh, we wanted to provide, help provide a safe place for high school graduates to go and not uh, partake in drinking, and but rather have a safe place. So it's at John's Incredible Pizza, 9.30, and we're dealing blackjack, okay? So uh, we're going to be dealing blackjack with fake money to high school graduates, and if you're interested in that, it's going to be a late night. You can, if you want to just serve for a couple hours, that's fine too, but 9.30 p.m., uh, John's Incredible Pizza on Cedar and Herndon. Uh, you can talk to Brayden after, or there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer if you want to serve, or if you have any young people who would like to serve. It's going to be a fun, fun night. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, Miss Sharon saved my life. It was 1991, and I was playing Foursquare at recess. And it took a while, but I finally won my way to the first position. And uh, as the round was about to begin, Kenny Coons would not leave for the first square first position. And I was like, that's kind of mean. But I let it go, and we played an entire another round. And I again gained first position. Kenny wouldn't leave. And it just bothered me. And so I said, Kenny, you're not playing four fair and square. I feel, I realized I missed a pun there, right? I should have said, you're not playing fair and four square, but I didn't. And then Kenny gets in my face and he says, what are you going to do about it? And it, it I don't know what came over me, but immediately I punched Kenny Coons in the nose. And it was a crazy, like, super punch because immediately blood came down. It's like punch, boom, blood. And so he looks down and looks, looks down at his hand with the blood, looks back at me, looks down again, and then his eyes. Eyes don't talk, but if they did, if they, they were saying, I'm going to kill you. Now, I don't know where my super punch courage went because immediately I take off running. And Kenny Coons is chasing me and I was fast, but I was losing. I was, I was gassing out. And so there's like a group of kids that kind of start huddling together to watch, just to see what's gonna happen when Kenny Coons gets this kid. And uh, all of a sudden, right when I'm about ready to give up, I see Miss Sharon. Miss Sharon was a 60-something hall monitor. And, uh, and so I saw Miss Sharon with her whistle there. And I, no joke, go and I hide behind Miss Sharon. Just like this, hiding behind a 60-something-year-old woman. And, because who's going to punch through that? And, 
uh, it was a day I will never forget. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Miss Sharon. You don't forget someone who saves your life. And teachers have saved countless lives over the years. Countless lives. This week I counted how many teachers I've had, and it was over 130. Uh, from preschool all the way through grad school. Teaching is a unique profession because it creates all other professions. That's the unique gift of being an educator. And the object of teaching a child is to enable him to get along without the teacher, without being right there, without the parents being right there. My daughter, Ivy, just turned one on Monday, and she just started walking this week. And so I've got a short little clip of her. I know. <laughs> Forgive the Taylor Swift bad blood behind. We were listening to Taylor Swift. Nobody wanted to see it. Stand up. Come here. Yeah, we can clap it. Oh my God. Okay. She's beginning to walk. And Sarah sets herself up so she's far enough away that she can't actually support Ivy, right? And, and then she holds out her arms and says, come here, sis, come here, sis. She's beckoning her to come. And Ivy constantly strives toward refuge, right, in her mom's embrace. She wants her mom. She thinks that she needs her mom. Little suspecting that in the very same moment she is emphasizing her need for mom, she is also displaying that she no longer needs her. Beautiful. She's proving that she can do it without her. That's the goal of teaching. Uh, to, to raise up people so that they can go on without us overseeing them on their shoulder to make a difference in our world. And this morning we're in week four of our Family Survival Guide series. And we've been looking at biblical principles that uh, help our families reflect the heart of God. And teachers play an amazing role in shaping our families. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus as a teacher and see if we can glean some things that move us and our families closer in our journey towards God. And teachers have played an amazing role in all of our lives, whether it was a parent, a pastor, a school teacher, a friend. It, but it's not the content that they say, right? It's not Algebra 2 that actually changed your life. It's the person. It's not the science, it's not the PE, it's not the football coach or the volleyball coach, it's the person. How many of you, and I want you to actually raise your hand here, can, off the top of your head, name five sermons that changed your life? Raise your hand. There's a couple, okay, one, two, three. Four or five of you. How many of you can name five people that changed your life? Everyone, right? Like that. It's not the sermon, it's not the teaching, it's the person. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. 45 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as a teacher. He's called rabbi, which means teacher, or he's called rabboni, which is my teacher. There's a personal relationship there. But Jesus wasn't simply just a teacher. Uh, Napoleon, the emperor and conqueror of nations, rightly recognized the uniqueness of Jesus and expressed it in these words, and the quote will be on the screens. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. It's wonderful. It's true. 
He was a teacher, but he's not only a teacher. And there are many passages of scripture that describe people's response or their reactions to Jesus' teachings. Here's a few. Matthew 13, 54, they were astonished. Matthew 22, when they heard these words, they marveled. Matthew 7, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, finishing the Sermon on the Mount. Whatever Jesus taught, it had a profound effect on his listeners, and not only that, but upon the world. So let's pull out our scantrons and our number two pencils, and let's see if we can look at some of the teachings of Jesus and just see if maybe they can shake us up as well. Matthew 7, chapter, verse 24 says this. Jesus is speaking. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey, it's foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. What's this passage mean? Let's explore some of the words in it. Uh, the word here for wise man is phronimos, and it denotes practical skill. Not someone who is just head knowledge, but it has practical skill with it. Then the Greek word for uh, foolish man is moros. Moros. And this will be on the screens too. Moros is where we get the word moron. Okay? Uh, foolish, uh, dull, heedless, absurd. If, I, if I'm ever going to insult someone, I'll call them a moros. And they'll go, don't you mean moron? And like, I got the better end of that interaction, right? <laughs> like, you guys will all know what I mean. The difference between phronimos and moros in this scripture is one small thing. See, both the wise and the foolish hear the teaching, but only one applies the teaching. There's two components. The first component is intake. Intake. Uh, everyone who hears my words, who hears these words of mine, uh, this is what we are doing right now. We're hearing the words of Jesus. We all fall in this boat. And without the first component of intake of God's word, you can't have the second, which is output. Puts them into practice. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Input, output. Uh, my twin brother went to college two hours north of Fresno at University of Pacific. And he would often come back down, uh, back down to Fresno for the summer or whatever to visit, and he'd have all kinds of crazy stories and new things that he's learning and all kinds of stuff. And I remember one particular time after his freshman year of college, he comes home and we're hanging out and he goes, hey John, John, I'll give you 40 bucks, which in college is like a thousand. I'll give you $40 if you let me crack three eggs over your head. And I go, deal, <laughs> sign me up, get the eggs. So he gets the eggs, first egg, all over my hair. I had bleached, dyed like blonde hair, like white hair, okay? Bleaching your hair was cool back, it was never cool, I thought it was cool, but uh, I had bleached hair and now there's egg yolk all in it, and I go, okay, round one, that's fine. Okay, and then he goes, all right, here we go, round two. The second one was like Jordan-esque, okay? He like slam dunked it on my head, splat all over the place. And I'm like, okay, awesome, awesome, ready for round three. He starts walking away. And I go, dude, what are you doing, man? You owe me 40 bucks. He said, no, no, no. I said I'd give you 40 if I crack three eggs. I only crack two. Have a nice day. (laughs) 
Come back. There's still one more egg. I learned something that day, and I've never fallen for that trick again. In fact, I've used it on other people. Lesson learned, and then I applied it to my life. Input, output. This is a photo of the Dead Sea. In the Dead Sea, it smells, hence the name, okay? Uh, and the reason the Dead Sea is rotten is because it has no outlet. You see, fresh water can run into the Dead Sea, but once it gets there, there's no way for it to leave, and so it just sits there, and it rots, and it stinks. When you get input with no output, you start to stink. This is why uh, someone who goes to church, who knows the Bible front and back, can still be a complete jerk. Input, lots of it, no output. We put it this way. If all you ever do is go to church or read the Bible, but you never start loving people in real life, getting your elbows and your soul dirty in the messiness of life, you probably smell bad. That's not Christianity. You're doing it wrong because you're not actually doing anything. Jesus teaches us that the world will know that we are his students or his disciples by our love, not by our church attendance, not by how much we give in the offering, not by anything else, but by our love. Loving people has always been the litmus test for love for God. When we make voting a certain way, or condemning a certain group of people, or believing all the right things, when we make those kinds of things the litmus test for our love for God, we have misunderstood the teachings of Jesus. We have messed up the input, and therefore that's why the output is all messed up. That's why you've got all this input happening, but the way they're living their lives, nobody wants to follow Jesus if that's a follower of Jesus. Love of others is the litmus test of our love for God, and it's always been that way. Charles Spurgeon said this, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. In his life and if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. Still true. The teaching of Jesus is not meant to inform, but to transform. It's not just so that we can receive this teaching, but it's rather to transform us to go make a difference in our world. And not just for your own personal transformation, though that's where it starts. Jesus wants to transform the world. We're called to bring heaven to earth, not uh, abandon earth and get to heaven. The salvation proclaimed and found in Jesus is not an evacuation project. It's a restoration project. It's not about leaving this world, well, it's all going to burn anyway. No, it's about transforming this world, restoring this new creation that Jesus inaugurated. But all too often we focus on ourselves, we focus in on the input when God is trying to move us to output. I read an article this week about a man who uh, went to a pastor's office and he knocks on the door and uh, he, he's, he asked for some quick bullet points to Christianity. He says, see, my wife's a recent convert to Christianity, and I just want some talking points, the, just, just the, the abbreviated, just the Cliff Notes version of Christianity, and I wanted to learn from an expert. And uh, he made it clear that he was very busy and he was very successful. He didn't really have time to hear the whole thing, just the bullet points. 
would have been easy for this pastor to hand him a pamphlet. But instead, he said this. He said, I can see you're very busy. You're very successful. So I don't think this is a good idea. And the man says, why? And he says, well, because if you were to just, if I were to give you the bullet points, and you were to really understand them, they might work in you so significantly that it just might mess up your whole life. You'd have to rethink the meaning of success, of time, of family, of everything. And I don't really think you want to do that, do you? You see, he, he responded differently so as to awaken a thirst that this man didn't know he had. And in this case, it worked. Matthew 21 says this. Well, what does Jesus speak and what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went away. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. It's a simple teaching. It's not about what you say. And Jesus knows something here. He knows this, that later becomes never. Right? Later becomes never. Teachers know this. The student says, I'll finish that assignment later. Or I'll turn it in next week. The teacher understands that means never. Parents know this too, right? Your parents know this truth. Later becomes never. Chris, I need to take the trash out. No, mom, I just want to finish this quesadilla. No, Chris, right now, not later. Your mom knows later becomes never. Is God calling you personally to something? What's your response? I want you to picture yourself. Go back. Some of you have to go back a little bit further. But go back to your high school house, wherever you lived in high school and you're on your bed in your room, and picture yourself in your high school bedroom, you got band posters or like Leonardo DiCaprio posters, whatever it is, okay? And you're listening to whatever music you listen to in high school. Maybe it's on a CD, maybe it's on a cassette. For some of you, maybe it's a record, okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. They're making a comeback. Uh, and so you're on your bed, you're distracted by whatever you're distracted by as a teenager. Then you hear over, uh, over the music, a voice asks you to do some kind of chore or something. What do you yell back? Do you yell back, be right out, in a minute, somebody else's job, I'm busy. Now, in a very real sense, you are still that teenager. Except your distractions are not video games or MTV or a phone call with your bestie. Now your distractions are addictions, money, time, your priorities. And the voice that you hear is not your mom or your dad asking you to do a chore, it's the voice of God. He's not asking something from you, he's asking for you. What's gonna be your response? He doesn't want what you can do for him, he wants you, all of you. What will you say back to him, surrounded by your distractions? Will you move from input to output? Will you respond to the call that God has on your life? Or do you find your worth and identity in something else? I want to get real practical as we close the service. I want to find one teaching of Jesus that we can just apply to our lives uh, this week. 
And let's just focus in on this one teaching of Jesus. There's many, uh, but this one's good. This is the golden rule. You've heard the phrase, the golden rule. Here it is, Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 12. It says this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So simple, yet so profound. Jesus was the first to teach this golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And you might be asking yourself, don't all religions teach some form of the golden rule? Um, no. Okay? Uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, not all religions touch on this. And those that do, they speak of it in the negative rather than in the positive. Confucius says, and this will be on the screens, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Bahula, the Baha'i faith, ascribe not to any soul that thou would not ascribe to thee. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, he says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. In the Hindu scriptures, one should never do that to another which one regards as injurious to one's own self. And in the Wicca faith, if it harms them, do what you want. Here's the problem here. This is nowhere close to the love ethic of Jesus. This is, these are silver at best, probably bronze. These are not the golden rule. Do not hurt others so that they don't hurt you. It actually doesn't do anything. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. That changes the world. Hey, I'm not hurting anybody, so leave me alone changes nothing. It's not enough to simply not injure or not hurt others. We must do something to actually change the circumstances. Jesus moves us to action, not inaction. What you have here is, in the silver rule, is, is an ethic of non-involvement. And we think because we're not doing bad, we're on par with the teachings of Jesus. And we are not. It's not enough to just not do bad. We're called to do good. You're inactive. It changes nothing. And the golden rule should change our lives and change our family's lives as well. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so that's, that's the takeaway. What does it look like for you on the drive home from church to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? It's going to get busy. There's a basketball tournament, and everyone's going to start leaving church at the same time. Uh, you know when you're trying to back up and you've got, the, you've got it in reverse? So the white lights are showing in your tail, right? And every car just says, I'm good, and just keeps going past. And you're, I can't believe they're not letting me in, right? Doing to others. You see those white tail lights backing up? Stop. You go. You go. Maybe let someone else with loud and crazy kids you're, you go to, to the restaurant, you go to Jack's Bistro over here in Fifth Garden, and you're in line, and you see like this mom and dad, and they've got all four of their kids, and they're waiting in line too, and brother's yelling at sister, mom's yelling at the other sister, and you're just there with your spouse. Hey, you guys go ahead. It's a little bit harder for you right now. Do unto others. Do unto others. I want to call up the worship band. What does it look like for us to do this? Maybe it means calling someone to go to lunch. Someone in your office who doesn't have any friends. What if you could just text, hey, let's grab my team real quick, it's full whatever. Maybe it means taking the shift at work that no one wants. Maybe it means for us to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Once I said that we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive someone 
who doesn't deserve it, because that's what he does for us. Maybe it looks like us doing the chores around the house that maybe our spouse normally does. Or if, if you're a son or a daughter, maybe it means doing the chores without your parents asking. Prayerfully consider what does it mean to do unto others this week? Several years ago, I went to Las Vegas to help a buddy of mine move from his apartment. And so, throw this U-Haul across the desert, we get to Vegas, and, uh, and we're, we're walking back to his apartment late one night, and uh, I see this, this homeless guy. Vegas has a lot of homeless guys. homeless guy, and, and like, we walk right past him. And then like an hour or two later, uh, and I felt like almost convicted, like, I should maybe talk to him or whatever. So, as I, as I walk past him, an uh, hour or two later, we're walking back, and I go, okay, Lord, I made a deal with God. So if he's still there, then I'll talk to him. Have you ever done this? Don't do this unless you want to be mightily used by God. Um, and so I go, I go back and do there. I go, hey, what's up, man? Like, hey, Denny's is open. You want to grab some food? Sat, had did breakfast with this guy at like 2 a.m. Uh, and then uh, he's like, what's your plans tomorrow? And I was like, oh, we're friends. Okay, uh, I'm helping a buddy move. You, you want to help? He's like, yeah, I'll help. And so then uh, we're helping the guy move the next day. And it's this, the man's name is Charles Proby. I'll never forget his name, never forget his face. So me and Charles Proby are getting ready to help my buddy Jared move. And uh, we're waiting for the apartment guy to get the keys to move stuff in. And, uh, he, and Jared had a football, so we're still throwing the football around. And then Charles is like, hey, I'm over. And Charles kind of had like, like hands bent like this. And so I go, all right, throw the ball to Charles, and he catches it like this, and then he throws it. And it was just this, we're at this, uh, this rough area of town, this apartment complex, it's 110 outside, and the joy of the Lord was so abundantly present to playing football with Charles Proby. And the smile on his face reminds me of the look my son has when he is so filled with joy and wonder. I'll never forget it. I often pray for Charles Proby. Now, I'm not saying this so you guys think I'm the same. Because the truth is, for every time there's a Charles Proby story and I respond, most of the time I say, God, I'm too busy with church stuff, Lord. Let me go finish this. And then maybe I can go and help someone else. The truth is, I say no to the Holy Spirit more than I say yes. But what would it look like for us to live this golden rule to do unto others? What would it look like for you in your homes, in your jobs, with your enemies? This is the radical ethic of Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you move us to action. Move us from just input to output. Change us, God. Renew us. Make us new and empower us with your spirit to go and do likewise, God. Not just to uh, not do bad, but to radically do good. We need you. We need the reckless love of God to come in, change us, forgive us, renew us, so that we can show that reckless love of God to the world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together as we sing about the love of God?